You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Well, good morning, y'all. It's uh, good to see you today. If uh, I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake, and I'm just so glad that you have uh, joined us this morning. Uh, we're uh, continuing our series through the first few chapters of the book of John, and we're calling this series Encountering Jesus, because in the first five chapters or so in the book of John, he just front loads it with all of these interactions, these encounters that people have with Jesus. So it's, it's a good title for this series, right? And it's, it's interesting. It's, it's, I love studying these, uh, these stories because you can learn a lot about someone through how they interact with others, right? I mean, perhaps you can even learn more about them than what they might tell you themselves by watching how they interact with others and even hearing what others have to say about them. You know, I kind of really get insight into who a person is. Well, through these stories that John tells, we get to see this incredible insight into who Jesus is, which is a big deal because Jesus is God, God in the flesh. And so we get to see what God is like and how he interacts with various different types of people in the beginning of the gospel of John. And today we're going to uh, look at a passage where five people interact with Jesus, but we're going to uh, focus in on one encounter in particular that Jesus had with a uh, guy who was a bit skeptical about who he was. And what we're going to see in this story is that uh, this guy's skepticism about Jesus was overcome by how Jesus saw him. That this guy's skepticism about Jesus was overcome by how Jesus saw him, which I think is a, is a good question for us to begin with this morning. It's just, how do you think Jesus sees you? How do you think Jesus sees you? Uh, do you think when he looks at you, do you think he looks at you with eyes of disappointment? Like, mm. you think that when he sees you, he just sees a mess? <laughs> when do, you, do you think that when Jesus thinks about you, his thoughts are primarily positive or negative? Or perhaps you just wondered, I don't think that Jesus sees me at all. You know, perhaps you're skeptical about the whole, like, is Jesus even more than just an ancient teacher? Or maybe, yeah, that, maybe you think that's all he is. And therefore you would say, well, Jesus doesn't see me. <laughs> he doesn't think about me at all. Here's what I think. I think most of people in this room would probably say, we would hope that Jesus sees us. And that when he sees us, he likes who he sees. But we're not real confident that that's true. How could we really know if that is true? Well, uh, John chapter 1, 35 through 51 tells us. And so if you have a Bible, why don't you turn there? I'm going to invite Ann up to read today's passage for us. And we're going to be in John chapter 1, verse 35 through 51. And so if you have, uh, yeah. And so if you're able, why don't you stand for the reading of God's word? The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. 
When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Anne. All right, so in this passage, we get to see five guys encounter Jesus. And uh, eventually, all five of these guys will end up being part of Jesus' 12 disciples. And so uh, this is, all, you could say, all very significant encounters, right? Uh, but... What's interesting, and perhaps you noticed it as Anne read through the passage, uh, John, the author here, gives a lot more attention to Nathaniel's encounter with Jesus than he does the, the other four guys. And that, that's interesting uh, because uh, Nathaniel doesn't get much attention in the rest of John's gospel. <laughs> in fact, he's only mentioned one more time, and that comes at the very end of the gospel of John, John chapter 21, and it's just kind of a passing statement, like he was a part of a group that was going fishing. That's, that's really all that we see of him. And so, but the other guys, the, these, you know, a couple of these, especially of these other four, uh, they uh, get a lot more airtime in the Gospels. They're like, they're, I mean, yes, Nathaniel was one of the disciples, but, you know, he wasn't really one of the prominent ones, right? But these other guys, like some of them are like really big deals. Like they show up a lot in the Gospels. They show up a lot in the book of Acts throughout the New Testament. In fact, two of them wrote a lot of the New Testament. So you would think that they would be the ones that John would give a lot more attention to. And yet he focuses on this encounter with Nathaniel. And you just think, okay, well, why, why, why would he do that? Like, for example, these, you know, what we read is that there's these two 
disciples that were John the Baptist's disciples, right? And they were with John and John sees Jesus and again says, this is the lamb of God. And they hear that. And John's really good at his job because he's just bearing witness to Jesus, pointing people to Jesus. And they say, okay, John, we get the message. That's Jesus. He, he's a big deal. I think we're going to bounce on you. Like they were students of John the Baptist or JB as I like to call him. But they were like, no, 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 uh, JB, okay. I hear you. We're done. Peace out. We're going to go with Jesus. And they start literally following Jesus, right? Like literally walking behind him. And Jesus does what any of us would do if two guys just started walking behind you for a period of time. He turns around to them and he asks them, hey, what do you want, right? That's literally what Jesus says. What do you want? Now, these two guys uh, are Andrew. We're told that in verse 40. And most people, most most scholars, or not, you don't even have to be a scholar to figure this out. Most people think that the other guy is unnamed in here, but they think it's the it's John. The, the writer of this gospel, right? And so that John and Andrew are following Jesus. Jesus turns to him and says, what do you want? Now, real quick, just kind of as an aside, it's interesting. It's pretty intriguing that the very first words that John puts in Jesus' mouth that he records Jesus saying in his gospel is this, what do you want? Like an entire sermon could be built out of just that question. Uh, but I'm gonna have to save that for another day because what John does here is he's moving fast through these huge encounters, John meeting Jesus, but he just moves fast because all he says is John and Andrew, they, they don't answer with this big, deep, religious, philosophical question answered to, I mean, answered to Jesus's question, what do you want? They don't say like, well, what I really want in life is, no, they just said, where are you staying? To which Jesus says, come, and you will see, he, which is more than just an invitation for them to see where Jesus was actually, you know, sleeping. It, it was uh, an invitation to be with Jesus, which, as you know, we talk about a lot around Midtown, but that's the first step and the most essential step in being a disciple of Jesus. Be with Jesus, then become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. It all starts with being with Jesus. So Jesus invites them, come be with me, and they do. And they go over and we're told like four in the afternoon, they're over there with Jesus. They hang out all night. But again, notice how little, de- how, how little the description is here. He, John could have told us so much more about that night, right? I would have loved to know, what did you talk about with Jesus that whole night, the first time you ever met him? But he doesn't tell us anything. All we can ascertain from what happened that night is that whatever was said was enough to convince Andrew that Jesus was the Messiah, Because in verse, what is it, 41, he says, "Uh, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. So Andrew, after spending time with Jesus, Jesus goes and gets his brother and says, you'll never believe it, Simon, but we found the Messiah. And then he brings Simon, his brother, to Jesus. And again, friends, this is a huge encounter. Because Peter's a big deal in scripture. Like Peter or Simon Peter, he's the one who eventually like ends up leading the church after Jesus's death and resurrection and ascension. Like he's a key player. Read the book of Acts. You see a lot said about Peter. Peter wrote a good amount of the New Testament. Now think first Peter and second Peter. You know, like this is, <laughs> that's this guy. And yet <laughs> what John records here in Peter's interaction and her encounter with Jesus is so weird 
And it's weird for two reasons. One, it's weird for its brevity. Like there's hardly anything said. And it's weird because what is said is weird. Like look, we're looking at it again. Here's what he says. Andrew brings his brother Peter to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is an Aramaic name. So John translates that here. He's into Greek, which is Peter. That's all we get. Like This is Jesus' encounter with Peter, first time. And all Jesus does is look at him and change his name. Like, that's weird, right? Now, hold on to that, because we're going to come back to that in a minute. But for now, I just want to point out how quick John is getting through these encounters. And he just keeps going, right? So verse 43, we're told, The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, and finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Again, very little ex, you know, you know, explanation here, very little uh, like in, in kind of uh, giving more details. Like all, he, all, all John throws in is one more line, like, oh, by the way, uh, Phil was from the same place as Peter and Andrew. That's all he tells us. And then he just keeps moving. But where he gets to in verse 45, John really begins slowing down. And he gives us some more details. He gives us some insight into Nathaniel. He wants us to know a little bit about him. And he gives us more details about Nathaniel's encounter or interaction with Jesus. And again, I think, okay, why would he give more attention to Nathaniel's encounter? Why do you think that would be? Like he had to have a reason. Could it be it's because he and the Spirit of God through John as he wrote his gospel that he wanted his readers to see something significant about Jesus that Jesus' encounter with Nathaniel revealed? That could it be that he said there's something in Jesus' encounter with Nathaniel so significant that he wanted to drill down here, he wanted to slow down here so that we would see what was revealed through this encounter? What was revealed about Jesus through this encounter? See, uh, no surprise. I think that's why he slowed down here. That's why I think he gave us more details about this encounter with Nathaniel. And so let's look at it. Verse 45 says, Philip found Nathaniel and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, which pause here. This was Philip's way of saying that we have found the Messiah. And friends, I can't overstate what a big claim this was. Like this is Philip saying to his friend, Nathaniel, Nathaniel, you'll never believe, but like the one that our people have been talking about since Moses, the one that Moses has been pointing us to, the one that the prophets prophesied about, the anointed king, the one who will free us and, and, bring, and from Roman rules, what they're thought like, the, the one that's going to be the, the king who set us free, the one that we've anticipated and longed for and waited for, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Hey, we found him. We found him. It's a big deal. And then he says to Nathaniel, here's who it is. It's, 
Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael says, that's incredible. No way. Can you take me to him? Nah, that's not what he says, right? Oh, he says, Nazareth. Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Uh, old, old Nate here, here's his, his friend Phil tell him, like, we found Messiah, and his response is not easy believe, like the easy believism, it's the pushback. Let's say, I don't know, dude, that doesn't, that doesn't ring true to me. Nazareth? And it's, it's understandable, honestly, for Nathaniel to feel this way, because, I mean, had, uh, Philip said, okay, we found it as Jesus of Bethlehem. Then that would have had this Davidic royal overtones and some prophecy to back up that perhaps the, the anointed one, the Messiah, would come from Bethlehem. Maybe that would have caused Nathaniel to be a little less skeptical, but there was nothing about Nazareth that would cause Nathaniel to think, okay, yeah, maybe the Messiah would come from there. <laughs> now, I mean, Nazareth is like Thorndale. Anyone been to Thorndale? Not much to say about Thorndale, you know, it's, it's not, you know, if you're from there, then, you know, God bless you. But, uh, you know, it's like, it's not real noteworthy. It's, you know, it's about 50 miles to the north of Austin. Well, Nazareth, about 50 miles to the north of Jerusalem. It was just this kind of backwater, unsophisticated, nothing special about it place. And so Nathaniel hears Philip say, Jesus from Nazareth, he says, Mm, Nazareth. I don't, I don't really think that you found the guy. I don't really think that that, you know, I, you know good for you. I'm, I, I hope that works out. But, you know, I don't know if that's, that's really the, the Messiah. <laughs> um, see, Nathaniel is skeptical. That's my point here. And John wants us to see that. Like, that's why he includes this detail here, that he would push back on this claim. Nazareth. He wants to see that. He's not just going to blind faith leap in. Yeah, okay. I'm in. No, he, he's like, mm. See, Nathaniel was a skeptical student, if you will. He was skeptical. It didn't sound right to him. But Philip's response to Nathaniel is great. What does he say to him? Come and see. Why don't you come and see? See, he doesn't argue with, with his friend Nate. He, does, he just invites Nathaniel to check out Jesus himself. And perhaps, you know, to Philip's surprise, Nathaniel decides to, to do that, to come along with him and see. And honestly, I don't, I don't know why Nathaniel does. I mean, clearly he was skeptical, but, but maybe he just went along because it was his friend that was inviting him. He's like, all right, well, I'll just, I'll appease you, Philip. I'll give this guy a shot. Or maybe, maybe Nathaniel was just desperate. I mean, his people, and he himself had been under Roman oppression for quite a while, no hope. And he's like, man, if there's any chance that someone could, could change things, uh, it's worth checking out. Or, or, or maybe, you know, he just found Philip's claims just so extraordinary that he thought, okay, this, this does not seem true. And it feels pretty far-fetched. But if it is true, maybe, you know, this could change everything. And so at least I should check it out. At least I should just see for my, myself. Because it really would change everything. Think about the C.S. Lewis quote when he, he uh, wrote, 
Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. And so maybe Nathaniel had been reading C.S. Lewis, right? And he was thinking, you know what? This sounds ridiculous, but if there's a chance this is true, it's huge. Either way, he decides to come along with his pal Phil to go see Jesus. And it's here in John's account that we get to see Jesus' encounter with the skeptic. Verse 47. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Which again is a strange way to greet someone you haven't met. Like you see Jesus saying some pretty like things like throughout this passage. You're like, what? what? Well, that's weird. Why would he say that? But especially weird for us, and you know, because of our modern ears. But for those other disciples that were around Jesus, followers of Jesus at that at that time, you know, Phil and if Andrew and John, Peter are there, it wouldn't have sounded as weird. In fact, it would have sounded like a compliment because you see. When Jesus says this, here, true, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. What Jesus was doing is he was contrasting Nathaniel to a very famous Israelite. Actually, the guy who Israel got their name from, the nation Israel got there, was their namesake, this guy, Israel, who was first named, originally named Jacob. If you're not familiar with Jacob, you can read about him uh, in Genesis, first book of the Bible. But Jacob was the grandson of Abraham, one of the grandsons of Abraham. He was the son of Isaac, brother to Esau. And perhaps you hear Jacob and Esau, and even if you haven't been in church forever or ever, perhaps you still have some kind of vague concept of, man, something happened between Jacob and Esau, right? Well, what happened is that Jacob deceived Isaac, their dad, to get Esau's birthright. Like he stole it out from under him. He deceived him. And as a part of that, and really you can keep tracing Jacob's story beyond that, Jacob was known, he had the reputation of being a deceiver. Then later, Jacob's life, God appears to him and he changes Jacob's name. It's no longer you, Jacob. You're now Israel. And from Israel come 12 sons, who 12 tribes of Israel. So Jacob is the namesake of the nation of Israel, but Jacob was known to be a deceiver. But now Jesus sees Nathanael approaching and is greeting to him. First time to ever see him. Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. So this was a compliment. This was Jesus saying some positive about Nathaniel, first time he sees him. Now, you can see this, you can read this statement two different ways. You can read it as Jesus saying, here's an Israelite in whom there's no deceit in the sense that this guy, he tells it like it is. You know, he's, he's blunt. He's not going to sugarcoat things. He's not going to try to deceive or exaggerate or whatever. He's just going to call it like he sees it. We see Nathaniel do that when he says, Nazareth? 
Does anything good come from Nazareth? So maybe that's what Jesus is referring to. It also could be that Jesus is saying something about Nathaniel that he has no appetite for deception, that he values the truth, that he won't be fooled, and whom there is no deceit, and that he won't be deceived, that he's out for the search for the truth. Or Jesus could be saying both of those things about him. Regardless of what he means here, whatever it is, when Jesus says this greeting to Nathaniel, it rings true to Nathaniel to the point that Nathaniel says, How do you know me? How do you know me? Like, time out. We've never met before. But would you just, how you just described me, I think you just kind of summed me up in a way that makes me think, have you been reading my mail? Like, what, how, do you, how do you know me? And what's really interesting in the Greek, there are two words for know, like knowledge of something, that are commonly used. One is oida. And oida is for head knowledge. It's, it's, it's knowledge you get through observation. That's not the word that Jesus that 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 sorry Nathaniel uses here when he says, "How do you know me?" See, there's another Greek word. It's the Greek word gnosko. Gnosko is a Greek word that means uh, knowledge of something through experience or through relationship, even a way to speak of intimate relational knowledge of someone. And that's the word that Nathaniel uses here. Like, how do you know me? Like, how do you really? know me. It's interesting, right? Got it changed. All right. Next page. My point is that something rang so true about Jesus' description of him that it it, it caused him to say, hang on a minute. it, it, It seems like you know exactly who I am. Yeah, I call things the way that I see them. I'm skeptical, but it's because I don't want to be deceived. But how do you know that about me? Now, okay, there's two things that I absolutely love about this interaction. The the first is this. John, I I think he's, the purpose is, I think he's expanding on this right here is because he wants us to know that Jesus really knew Nathaniel, even though they had never met in person. And and I think that John wants us to know that because he wants us to know this about Jesus. That Jesus knows people even whenever he hasn't met them in person. That Jesus knows you and he knows me. And then the second thing, that I love about this is the way Jesus described Nathaniel was positive. Like he praised, he honored who Nathaniel was, the how Nathaniel was wired. See, Jesus didn't roll his eyes at the one who rolled his eyes at Jesus being from Nazareth, right? No, instead, Jesus compliments Nathaniel. Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit positive statement. See, Jesus is right off the bat communicating that he values who Nathaniel is, that his skepticism, his natural inquisitiveness, his desire to know what is true and how he can call things as he sees them. 
no deception. Jesus honors this in Nathaniel by complimenting this trait in him. Now, Nathaniel, friends, he didn't realize this. He didn't realize this yet. But he was having an encounter with his creator. Now think about that. He was having an encounter with his creator. The, the one through whom all things were made, as John tells us earlier in chapter 1, verse 3. And so Jesus didn't just look at Nathaniel like, okay, here's this guy. Oh, bother. Skeptic, blunt dude. I'm going to have to put up with him, convince him who I am. No, he, Jesus looked at Nathaniel as he approached it with, with the eyes of a loving creator with the eyes of someone who, who was being united with someone that was his child that he, had, that he had made. Like he was excited to see the one that he had made, the one that values the truth and the search for the truth. And so he honors this in Nathaniel. It's, 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 friends, it's as if Jesus liked who he made Nathaniel to be. And friends, let me just add, if you're like Nathaniel, you know, you, you naturally skeptical, you're thoughtful, you, you, you find believing doesn't come real easy for you. You just need to know Jesus welcomes you too. He's not put out by you or your questions. That he loves and he values you and your value for the search of the truth. He loves that about you. It goes so far as that he made you that way. Now, I know that uh, some churches seem to discourage asking questions and in some cases, uh, shame people for doubting and being skeptical. I, I thank God I've never been a part of one of those kind of churches. So there are lots of churches that invite questions and, and interact with people where you're at. It's a safe place. That's been my experience. But I do know and I've heard stories of people who say, man, that's not my experience in church. And if that's been your experience where you felt like I can't, like I'm looked down upon by having questions, I just want you to know that's not from Jesus. That's not from Jesus. I mean, what, what is from Jesus is what we see right here in Jesus' interaction with Nathaniel. He, he, he made you inquisitive. And so, you know, he's not afraid of your questions. For he knows the more you search for the truth, listen, the more you search for the truth, the more you will find him. So ask away. In our church, you, you feel free to ask any, any of us, and you ask me any questions that you have, but let me just point you to people that might be even more helpful, and that would be people within your Midtown community who know you and you have a relationship with. That's a great place to ask questions. Or in your huddle, your discipleship group, it's a great place to ask questions. Friends, if that's you, ask your questions. Jesus welcomes them. We welcome them. We celebrate that in you just as Jesus did in Nathaniel. Keep searching for the truth. For Jesus is the truth. You'll find him. Okay, back to the passage. Jesus sees who Nathaniel really is. 
who he created, and he celebrates it, and he calls it out. And then Nate asks in verse 48, how do you know me? And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Once again, a really weird thing to say, right? But look at how Nathanael responds. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. (laughs) Now that's a pretty strong 180 for the skeptical student, right? Nazareth to you're the son of God. Not just you're the king of Israel, you're the son of God. Like this is a huge statement for Nathaniel to make. And so the obvious question here is, what in the world was going on under that fig tree? Right? Well, let me tell you. Now, I wish I could tell you. I wish I knew, but we're not told. John doesn't tell us what was going on. We have no way really of knowing. Now, all that's clear is that Nathaniel was so amazed that Jesus knew about it. It was so private, so significant to him, so astounding to him that Jesus would have, would know what was happening under the fig tree and listen, and still welcome him, still affirm him. It confirmed that Jesus had supernatural knowledge of him, that Jesus really saw him, really knew him, and yet Jesus still warmly welcomed him. And friends, that moved Nathaniel. So that was the proof the skeptic needed to be convinced that Jesus is not only the promised Messiah, but the Son of God. What Jesus saw changed how Nathaniel saw Jesus. That his skepticism about Jesus was overcome by how Jesus saw and welcomed him. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Friends, I wonder what Jesus calls out when he sees you. I wonder what Jesus calls out when he sees you. What character trait he celebrates in you. See, earlier in this passage, I told you I was going to come back to it. Here I am. John tells us that uh, when Jesus met Simon for the first time, Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Cephas, Aramaic, Peter, Greek, both words mean rock. So Jesus meets Peter for the very first time and looks at him and says, hey, you know what? Your name, Simon, which you've always been known as, that doesn't really capture the way I see you. From here on out, I'm going to call you Rocky, you know, call you Rock. Because that's how I see you. Later in the gospel accounts, and especially later in Matthew, we're told a little bit more why Jesus would say this. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 says, uh, Jesus speaking, says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Like, that's a huge statement. Like, Peter, I'm a, you're going to play a, a, a very 
very instrumental, foundational role in me, me building my church. So you, you're Peter, you're the rock. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And what John tells us is that Jesus saw that in Peter from the get-go. Hey, everyone knows you as Simon, but that's not how I see you. You're a rock. Friends, what do you think Jesus calls you when he sees you? Perhaps contrary to what others call you, or how others see you, or even perhaps how you see yourself. I wonder what positive trait Jesus calls out when he sees you. See, I believe that one of the reasons for why John went into such detail about Nathaniel's encounter with Jesus is because he wanted his readers to see this, to see something significant about Jesus that, that is seen, revealed through this encounter, that he wanted us to see that Jesus sees us. And when he sees us, he likes who he sees. He likes who he sees. He calls out what is good in us and how he made us. And, and hear me, like, you know, this isn't, this isn't to say that Jesus doesn't see our sin and our, our brokenness, but he does see through our sin and brokenness to what he truly made us to be when he created us in his image. And like, like a work of art, like a masterpiece that has been covered by dirt and grime, he doesn't first focus on the dirt and the grime and establish all of his value based on this dirty. No, he sees through that to the masterpiece that is there that was originally created, and he calls that out in you. That's how he primarily sees you. When my son, uh, Camp, was in elementary school, he was having a really hard time uh, for a period there. And he was really down on himself. I think he was like eight or nine at this time. So I took him to uh, lunch at Torchy's Tacos. And the Torchy Tacos motto is, and I, I hope I don't offend anyone here. I, Krista said it was okay. Um, uh, Torchy's motto is, uh, damn good tacos. And I tell you that for a couple of reasons. You'll see one in a minute. But uh, the other is because uh, Camp read that. on the, It's on their napkin dispenser on the table. And Camp read that that day. And he just got such a kick out of it. He was just like, Dad, do you see this? Like, we don't, we don't say bad words at our house. And so, like, this was a big deal. Like, he's seeing this. And he's like, Dad, can you see this? But anyways, we're over lunch. At, um, and, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to hear more about what's going on with him, how he sees himself. And, I'm asking him questions, and, and what he was saying was just really hard to hear. Not, not a lot of positive self-talk, okay? <laughs> Let me say, put it that way. So after listening to him for a little while about how down he is on himself and whatever, you know, feel like a failure and always, like, afraid, and, I mean, just on and on. I said, hey, son, can I, can I read you one of my favorite verses in the Bible? He's like, yeah, Dad. And so I, I turn to Ephesians 2.10, which says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. 
And I said, son, you know what this means? When it says we are God's handiwork, the Greek word, this is a, you know, this is a pastor talking, so I was going to give him the Greek even to my nine-year-old son. It's the word poema. This is like saying that you are God's, God's work of art. You're a masterful work from the master of the universe. Now, friends, what I said, son, what this means is that God doesn't look at you or anyone else and say, oh, man, I've, not my best job on that one. Ooh, can't box, man. I, I really messed up on that guy. I said, son, you need to know that when God looks at you, he says, and I did a damn good job making camp box. And he looked at me with big old eyes. And I said, I say it that way, son, because I don't want you to ever forget that. I want you to remember this. Because, friends, this is true. I said, son, this is true. You are God's handiwork. He did a great job making you. He is proud of the one that he made when he made you. And he has created you in Christ Jesus to do good works that he's prepared in advance for you to do. That he is proud of who he made in you and he's got big plans for you. That's how God sees you. Friends, Jesus' encounter with Nathaniel highlights that truth for all of us. That he sees you. And when he sees you, he sees who you really are, who he created you to be. And he likes who he sees. He likes who you were intended to be, who you really are, even under the dirt and the grime of our sin. See, Nathaniel discovered that Jesus knew him the way that he longed to be known and welcomed him the way that he longed to be welcomed, and he was blown away. Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the Messiah, the King of Israel. But Jesus responds, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than this, greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And then this final, again, kind of weird statement, Jesus hints at why he had come. When he tells Nathanael that he will see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man, he was again referring to Jacob from the Old Testament. Specifically, he was referring to Genesis chapter 28, where Jacob falls asleep and sees a staircase or a ladder going from earth to heaven. And he saw angels ascending and descending on the ladder. This is a quote. Jesus is quoting from Genesis 28 here. And this was a remarkable vision for Jacob to have because as a result of mankind turning away from God in our sin, resulting in destroying our relation with God and relation with one another and our relationship to creation, destroying all of that, there has been a chasm, as it were, between heaven and earth, that we are separated from God. But Jacob has this dream that somehow, someday, there will be this connection 
between heaven and earth. And there will be a way to get into the very presence of God again. And here Jesus makes the incredible claim that he is the way. That he is the bridge between heaven and earth. See, this, friends, is why Jesus came. Jesus knows who he created us to be, and he loves his creation. He loves you and me, but he knows that we're all made in the, that he knows though we are all made in the image of God, we have distorted that image through our sin. Like a masterpiece covered with grime and dirt. So this is the reason like, this is the reason why we have such a hard time even uh, believing that God really sees good in us. <laughs> because we're so aware of our sin and our brokenness. See, our sin has resulted in being separated from God. For we're unable to save ourselves and clean up ourselves. But Jesus, God the Son, came from heaven to earth to pay for our sins and to make us new, or to fully restore us in him. That through his death and his resurrection, he made the way to bring us to God and restore God's image in us fully. See, God the Son came as a human to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. He came to end sin without ending us. He came to pay the penalty of our sins so that we can be forgiven, reconciled and restored and made new. He came so that through faith in him, through trusting in him, he can rescue us and renew us fully and bring us to God like a ladder spanning the chasm of heaven and earth. Friends, this is what Jesus was pointing to at the end of his encounter with Nathaniel. And we know from the rest of John's account that Nathaniel was changed through this. That Nathaniel went from being a skeptical student to a convinced and committed disciple. That in Jesus, he had found the one who would defeat evil and death and provide the way, the reconciliation with God. And friends, if we encounter Jesus, we will too. You're invited, just as Nathaniel was, to come with your doubts, to ask your questions, and to be accepted, welcomed by the one who knows you like no other because he created you and he loves you. And he likes you. He likes who he made you to be. And he's come to restore that in you to the full. You're welcome. I pray that through today's passage in God's spirit, you will realize that Jesus does see you. And when he sees you, he likes who he sees. In fact, he likes, he loves you so much that he came to make the way for you to be reconciled to God and fully restored in his image, even though it would require his death in our place in order to do so. I hope that you're getting that. I want to give you some time to think about that as we move to taking communion together. And as our service can begin, uh, begin passing out the elements, what I want to and give you, like I said, is a time, just a minute here, just to be quiet before God 
and reflect on what Jesus suffered to make, in order to make the way for us to be reconciled to God and fully restored in his image. I just use this time to consider how Jesus sees you and what he did for you so that one day you will get to see him face to face. Once everybody has the elements, we'll take them together. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven.